church. I thought that I would uh, delay in coming out here tonight and uh, put another person on the spot <laughs> for preaching. But all is all is well. We're glad to see each of you here tonight. Um, praise God for the blessing and His blessed gift. We're, we're not going to look at rhetorical questions tonight. We'll get back to that that lesson tonight. We're going to do something just a little bit differently, um, which I think will be to our benefit and um, and our advantage. Let's go, please, to God in a word of prayer together. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you so very much. We praise your holy divine name. And we ask, Lord God, that you would uh, be with us and help us to honor you in all that we say and do. And uh, this evening, Lord God, as we come together in prayer and uh, worship to you, we ask, Lord God, that you will accept our worship. We recognize, Lord God, that uh, worship is something that, um, that as, we, as we bring worship to you, it's, it's your, your choice to receive our worship. We pray you'll receive our worship and that it's in spirit and in truth. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your darling son. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we pray and thank thee. Be thy will. Amen. I want to welcome our visitors. We thank God for your, your attendance uh, tonight. Let's go to John chapter uh, 4. I'm, I'm really going to get out of John 4, but I want to bring up two points um, in, in John 4. We, we had been looking at John 4 uh, in the teen class, and there were some things I wanted to emphasize for you uh, this evening. And the first is found in verses uh, 1 and following. When therefore the Lord knew that the Pharisees uh, had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And uh, he had to pass through Samaria. Uh, well, the first thing is, is that notice in the text that um, baptism is very important. It's essential to salvation. To make a disciple... Uh, is to baptize one into Christ. There was a discussion about baptism, even back in those days. Today, there are discussions about baptism. And so the discussion of baptism is not something that's new. Uh, here in, in this text, the question is, why isn't Jesus baptizing? Well, uh, some would say because baptism is not imp- important or essential. But the reality is, is because what would happen if one person were baptized by Jesus? Well, they think they're better than everyone, wouldn't they? They'd be the best super-Christian of all Christians. And that's, that's not the case. All of us are, are saved in the same way. But I wanted just to highlight, uh, if you will, in verse 4, speaking of Jesus, that he had to pass through Samaria. Now, now that question, when you think about having to pass through Samaria, normally when traveling from Judea to Galilee, many Many Jews crossed the Jordan, and they went around Samaria. I'm going to show you why in in just a moment. But the major reason is they hated, the Jews hated the Samaritans. I want to show you the big issue with that here. I want to talk about that. He went around, but the text says he had to go. And why did he have to go through Samaria? Obviously, if the text tells us that Jesus had to go, there is some spiritual reason behind that. Now, we know the depth of the message shows us that without a shadow of a doubt, he had to go through Samaria because there were people in Samaria who wanted to what? Be saved. They wanted to honor God. They wanted to love God. They wanted to serve God. And there was this one woman at the well. One of the greatest evangelists in the New Testament. 
And she carries a message back to Samaria about Jesus as they met at the well. But I want you to think about just something before we get to the point that I want to make. I want to jump down to verse 5. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. Therefore, uh, Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. I want you to think about Jacob's well. That well is thousands of years old and still producing water for the people. That's a God thing, isn't it? You know, that's a God thing. That, that well has been there and flourishing, and everyone goes there, and it's an amazing spot. God, thousands of years ago, prepared this day. He prepared this woman, if you will, this situation. He was ready for this situation that Jesus would meet this woman at the well to carry the gospel to the Samaritans. Look, salvation is from God. What we pray for, we pray God opens doors, right? It's not us. It's God. God wants people to be saved. Jesus had to go through Samaria. On his way in this travel, turn to Hebrews, please, chapter 2. On his way in his travels, Jesus had a problem. And the problem is that Jesus was weary. He was weary. He was like us, right? It's in the heat of the day. It was at noon, traveling with the hot sun, and Jesus got tired just as we do. And when you're you're walking this walk of faith and, and you feel tired, remember Jesus also felt tired. And he rendered our excuses powerless because he went through, has gone through, everything that we will ever go through or have gone through. He was weary just like us. And in Hebrews 2 and verse 14, the Bible says, Since then the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil." and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For surely he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered He's able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. So we just took that one point. Jesus was tired, but he kept marching on. And we think about our own spirituality. Sometimes fighting the devil we know is tiring. But Jesus showed us, you keep marching on. So I wanted just to grab that that point, because I didn't want to just jump through that uh, just to get to this particular Uh, part of the lesson. So I want you to go back now to John chapter 4, please. John chapter 4. And in John 4, this woman is there, and she makes this statement, we're going to start at verse 7, that would just, it's kind of jaw-dropping. You have to ask yourself, why is this the case? Verse 7 says, there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. 
The Samaritan woman, therefore, said to him, listen to what she said. How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. What a sad, sad statement. The Jews are supposed to be the light. Turn to John chapter 3. They were supposed to be a light to the world, to show them, to teach them about God. But no, instead, these Jews have nothing to do with Samaritans. What's wrong with these Jews? Well, let's go back and look at the history to discover how Israel came to this point, how Judah came to this point to where these Jews from Judah, these Jews decided all of a sudden that Samaritans weren't worth saving. Now, I don't know if you've ever met folks who feel that way or have felt that way, that certain groups of people aren't worth saving, but what a terrible, terrible mindset that any child of God could ever have, right? Let's take a look, though. Listen to the justification, and then let's look at the reality. So two things, and I'll let you go. Verse 11, please, of Jeremiah chapter 3. And the Lord said to me, Faithless Israel has proved herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. Ah, now I'm getting to see it. Okay, so Israel, who are the Samaritans, I'll show you how how the Samaritans came about in a moment, but Israel, the northern kingdom, became what we know as Israel, right? It used to be Israel would would include all the tribes of Israel, all 12. However, there's this separation between Judah and Benjamin, the tribes that are south. So Judah, Benjamin, and Judah the southern tribes, against the northern tribe, the ten northern tribes. The ten northern tribes are carried off into uh, Assyrian captivity in 722 B.C., and the southern tribe was carried off into Babylonian captivity about 605 B.C., 596, etc. They had three deportations. But here's the thing. There's a separation between Judah and Israel. Now, Judah, which... Later on, as we're reading into the Samaritan woman, these Jews had no dealings with the northern kingdom, because you don't hear much of anything else about the northern kingdom after they're carried off into Assyrian captivity. There are no more kings. And Judah has an opinion. Oh, wait a minute. Israel proved to be more treacherous than Judah. Let's keep going. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look upon you in anger, for I am gracious, declares the Lord, and I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your iniquity that you have transgressed against the Lord your God and have scattered your favors to the strangers under every green tree. And you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. Return, O faithless sons, declares the Lord, for I am a master to you, and I will take you, one from a city, and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. God is still trying to save them. What was going on? Turn to Second Kings, please. Chapter 17. You see, Israel, the northern tribes, had gone off into so much idolatry that it was just a terrible state of being, if you will. They were uh, proven to be wicked, and Israel, uh, excuse me, proven to be wicked, 
and, and unrighteous. And God was angry at Israel for their sins. But God said, look, I'm not going to be angry forever. Just repent. Turn your life around. Come back to me and everything's all right. And he sent prophets to them to preach to them, to teach them, to, to, to try to bring them back. Chapter 17, verse 10. And they said for themselves, this is, about, this is about Israel, okay? The northern tribe, the northern kingdom. And they set for themselves sacred pillars in Asherim on every high hill and under every green tree. And there they burn incense on all the high places as the nations did, which the Lord had carried away to exile before them. And they did evil things provoking the Lord. And they served idols concerning which the Lord has said to them, You shall not do this thing. And so you read, God was angry at Israel. What did He do for them? Verse 13, He warned them. Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah uh, through all the prophets on every, in every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments, my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers, and which I sent to you, through my servants, the prophets. So God didn't just leave them out there. God said, look, I'm sending your prophets to try to teach you and bring you back and soften your heart. But, but Israel, Israel would not return. Look at verse 21. When he had torn Israel from the house of David, they made Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, king. This is going all the way back to Solomon, right? All the way back to Solomon, Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Then Jeroboam drove Israel away from following the Lord and made them commit a great sin. And the sons of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel from his sight as he spoke through all his servants, the prophets. So Israel was carried away into exile from their own land to Assyria until this day. Why? Because they just wouldn't listen. So God said, okay, I'm done. And God just took him away. Look at verse 24. And the king of Assyria brought men from Babylon and from Kutha uh, and Ava and from Hamath and Serav-Avam and settled them in the cities of Samaria in place of the sons of Israel. So they possessed Samaria and lived in its cities. All right. So there's a situation. Now we have... The Samaritans, if you will, or should I say, the northern kingdom, Israel, living in a place called Samaria. And Israel, because of all the other people, because of the greatness of the king of Assyria, instead of surrendering to God, they instead dwelt amongst these people, and they learned their ways, and they began to practice this evil. Verse 25, please. And it came about at the beginning of their living that they did not fear the Lord. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. So they spoke to the kings of Assyria, saying, The nations whom you have carried away into exile in the cities of Samaria do not know the customs of the God of the land. So he has sent lions among them, and behold, they killed them because they do not know the customs of the God of the Lamb. Do you think, do you think worship, true worship is important to God? 
You better believe it, right? So imagine that, that you're worshiping God in, in any old way, and God sends lions, and they just devour your priests and your, your leaders because you're not doing it the right way. They didn't know how to worship God, right? They worshiped God in any old way. So, so there had to be a solution. So the solution that the Assyrian king came up with, down in verse, um, we'll start down in verse 27, is this. Then the king of, of Syria commanded, saying, Take there one of the priests, whom you carried away into exile, and let him go and live there, and let him teach them the customs of the God of the land. So one of the priests whom they carried away in exile from Samaria came and lived at Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. But every nation still made gods of its own and put them in the houses of the high places which the people of Samaria had made. Every nation in their cities in which they live. So here's the problem. The problem is you have polytheism. They're worshiping all the gods, right? We got to make sure that we at least worship the God of the land, all right? Worship the God of the land and give him his due. But then let's worship all the other gods as well because we just believe in worshiping multiple gods. Now, you would think that the Jews who remained in the cities would have been strong enough to stand up and say, hey guys, you're worshiping God incorrectly so that God wouldn't have to send the lions. But they didn't. They were weak. They lived evil in evil ways. They were just as bad as the rest. And so they they took God for granted and they worshiped in an evil way. And so Judah, the southern tribes, are now watching this and saying, man, they are so wicked. How did our brethren get that way? We would never be like, we'll never be like them. We are better than they are, right? You know, God hasn't sent lions against us. Look at us, Judah. We're doing all right. Which out of that came the scribes and Pharisees later on. <laughs> Look at how great we are. Now I want you to keep, keep following this now. Chapter 17, verse 32. Keep following this. They also feared the Lord and appointed from among themselves priests of the high places who acted for them in the houses of the high places. They feared the Lord and served their own gods according to the customs of the nations from among whom they had been carried away into exile. So a little bit of God, a little bit of that God, a little bit of this. They treated God as if he was just like all of the other gods. You think God accepts that? No. No, he does not. And I, and I pray, God, that we'll, we'll never be found guilty of that, right? But the point is, is that God sent prophets over and over and over again to say, hey, turn your lives around, live for God. Somebody's got to tell them, right? Look at verse 34. To this day, they do according to the earlier customs. They do not fear the Lord, nor do they follow their statutes or their ordinances, or the law, or the commandments, which the Lord commanded the sons of Jacob, whom he named Israel. That's interesting because the verse prior to that, a couple of them said they did serve God or fear God. And later on it says they didn't serve or fear God. You know why? God doesn't want half of your heart. Or a little piece of your heart. God wants it all. Right? Either you fear him, or you do not. See, look back at verse 32. They also fear the Lord. God is not going to have that. Well, you say, okay, yeah, we're going to fear God a little bit and then fear the other gods as well. No, God says, I need all of your heart, your mind, soul, and strength. I want it all, right? 
Remember Judah sitting back saying, those folks will never figure it out, will they? Look at us. Look at how great we are. Verse 41, please. So while these nations fear the Lord, they also serve their idols, their children likewise, and their grandchildren as their fathers did, so they do to this day. That's the Samaritans. That's basically what happened in Samaria under the Assyrian captivity. The northern tribes intermingled with all the people around and they gave in. You know, one of the philosophies in those days was the God who wins the war is the great God. And Israel should have never had that philosophy for the God of the heavens and the earth won every victory that he's ever engaged in. And if you notice when you go back and read, except the law, except for Canaan, God always said, always before you go to war, offer peace. Always. Except for Canaan. Remember, he gave Canaan 400 years to change. The iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. Genesis chapter 15. He gave them 400 years to change. And they refused. He sent prophets and teachers over and over again, yet they would not change. Well, now here we are with Israel, the northern kingdom, who follows Jeroboam. They set up idol gods. They worship idol gods. They're full of idolatry. And they refused. Though they knew better, they refused to change. And it came to a point where God said, enough is enough. And so when we get to John 4, and the lady says, the woman says, you, you Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Did the Jews have the right to be that way. Of course not. Now, I'm going to show you why not in just a moment, if, if you will, looking at the Scriptures, but of course they didn't have that right. Later on, Judah would, would pay a price because of their sin, and they would go off into Babylonian captivity because they were also wicked and evil. And isn't it interesting that in a wicked and evil people would look at another wicked and evil people and judge them. How do, you, how do we? How does it? How, how do we judge another nation of wickedness and evil when we ourselves are wicked and evil? Right? I mean, America the Great. I love America. I'm an American citizen. Serve the military. Volunteer my life. But right is right and wrong is wrong. Right? Right is right and wrong is wrong. And we can't judge the whole world and say, you guys are horrible. Instead, as God's people, we have to remember, as Christians, it doesn't matter what nation you live in. We're supposed to live for Jesus and teach the world the truth. Right? Just teach them about Jesus. Because our citizenship is in heaven. Let me show you what happens. What happens is, when we start looking at everybody else and forget to look at ourselves, we become like Judah. And that's a problem. So look at what Judah, look at Judah's mindset. Chapter 17 still. But I want you to jump backwards to verse mm, 19. I skipped this verse for a reason. You go back and read all of 2 Kings 17, you'll get the whole picture. <clears throat> verse 18. So the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his sight 
none was left except the tribe of Judah. Also, Judah did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the customs which Israel had introduced. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Judah. How could you look at the carried off captives and with disdain in your heart and say, we're never even going to associate with those people when you're doing the same stuff. Right? I mean, America's killing babies too. <laughs> right? You're doing the same stuff. Murder is murder. You murder an infant or an embryo or you murder, a, you, you know, you like the Taliban. We're doing the same stuff. We have all the new rights in the LGBTQRS. It just keeps going. It's not going to end, right? Before you know it, we'll be a double A, right? A A A B B C C. Because everybody wants everybody wants something. It's horrible, but we're doing the same stuff. What we have to do is say, you know, even though we live here, praise God. Let's try to help America become what God wants it to be. Right? Let's be that. We should be that. Be who God wants us to be. What does God want us to be? Americans? No. Christians. Be Christians, right? Who live in America. That's what we are supposed to be. Judah did the exact same thing. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 3. They were equally guilty of sin. Now the question is, were they better than Israel? Well, really in reality, no one's better than anyone else. The problem is your attitude. Do you have the attitude that you're better than everyone else? Well, let's think about that for a moment. Jeremiah 3, over in verse 6. All this has to do with the Samaritan woman says, Wait a minute, why are you asking me for a drink of water? Um, because Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, and plus I'm a woman. Right? And, then, and, I, and he goes on to talk. She says, you, you know, the well is deep. How are you going to get the water? And then I'm going to just, just you know, this isn't even the scriptures, but... And then when I pour, the, when I get the water out, Jesus, I, I've got to give you some. And we already drink out of this cup. You're going to drink after us too? Right? You see, she's confused now. This doesn't make any sense. Jeremiah 3, verse 6. Look at, look at, look at Judah. Then the Lord said to me, in the days of Josiah the king. Have you seen what faithless Israel did? She went up on every high hill and under every green tree, and she was a harlot there. And I thought, isn't that amazing? God said, what, I thought? God was thinking about, like, I thought, it, what do you think? After she has done all these things, she would return to me, but she did not return, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. Okay, now wait a minute. <laughs> when God says, I thought something, and you, God was amazed. <laughs> I thought for sure. You watched me carry them off into captivity. I thought for sure they change. No. Nope. We are so brave, aren't we? <laughs> We're bold enough to, to box with God, right? You can't win. I thought they would change, but, but they didn't. But then God uses a term a descriptive term about Judah. And he says, oh, and by the way, treacherous Judah, treacherous Judah, saw it. In verse 8 it says, 
And I saw that for all the adulteries of faithless Israel, I had sent her away and given her a writ of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she went and was a harlot also. Oh, wait a minute. The word hypocrisy comes to mind. Judah, you're doing the same stuff. Right? You're just like Israel. Verse, verse 9. And it came about because of the likeness of her harlotry that she polluted the land and committed adultery with stones and trees. And yet, in spite of all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but rather in deception, declares the Lord. So they tried to trick God and say, look at how good we are. We're special. We do love you. I mean, I mean, they might sing the song, listen to my heart. And then they might stop singing that song. <laughs> Don't listen to my heart. Because <laughs> they were hypocrites. They were liars. They were deceivers. And yet they have the audacity to say, oh, we can't talk to the Samaritans. I <laughs> mean, we're way better than they are. And then verse 11 and the Lord said to me, Faithless Israel has proved herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. Wow. Wow. Go back to John chapter 4, please. No. Prepare to let you go here in just a moment. Jesus had to go to Samaria. Because he had to help the Jews to see something different. Now, I mean, that woman didn't have everything right. But she sure wanted to be saved. And all it took was just a little bit of teaching. She became one of the greatest evangelists in the entire Bible. She went back and brought the whole city. Can you imagine her speech? She went back to the city as a, as a woman who was shamed because of her situation. She says, here's a man who told me everything I've ever done. Here's a man who told me everything I've ever done. Here's a man who told me everything I've ever done. And she might have said something like, and he knows what you've done too. <laughs> I don't know that she said that, but what if she did? Verse 9, again, please. The Samaritan woman therefore said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me, for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. That's a problem. Are there people that you have no dealings with? That you refuse to teach the gospel to? That you just don't want to talk to? Because you think maybe they're not worthy of salvation? Has that ever happened? Have you ever judged someone? You ever looked at their, their demeanor and... Uh, and just thought to, them, to yourself, or maybe this, their, their dress, their attire, and said, they're never going to listen to a message about Jesus. How do you know? I don't know about you, but I've seen some pretty rough-looking brothers who love God, who love God, who love God. What kind of preacher would John the Baptist look like up here at the pulpit? All right? How many folks would listen to John the Baptist? Tonight, just the thought 
Maybe we ought to rethink. Maybe we ought to rethink the way we feel about the world. And maybe we ought to do what Jesus asked us to do, and that is to seek and save the lost. Maybe we ought to rethink the way we think about or feel about Anchorage and people in Anchorage. Instead, become evangelistic-minded and seek and save the lost. Which lost? All of the lost. Before we do that, start with self. So tonight, if you're struggling in your walk of faith, we invite you to surrender to Christ in the waters of baptism. You want to have faith in God. You want to surrender to God. Here's your opportunity. Thank you, God, for another day, another moment. If you're struggling in your walk of faith and you're a child of God, and you just feel like prayers made on your behalf, or, or perhaps you just need to rethink some things, pray about it. Turn your life around and surrender to the mighty Savior. The lesson is yours. Thank you for your time this evening. God bless each and every one of you. Please stand while we sing the song of invitation.